Spirit 3, and appreciate uh, you allowing me to be out of town this past Sunday. Our, our son, uh, Brother Joel, uh, it's kind of strange to say it like that, was your preacher Sunday morning, Sunday night. I got the chance to hear the message, got the chance to hear the service in the first service, and appreciate the, the good crowd and the good response, and and uh, Lord, Lord just kind of carried things on. I've always been told <clears throat> you're like uh, stick your finger in a bucket of water and pull it out. That hole closes up pretty quick, you know. So, but everything just kind of ran as as it was supposed to. And I'm grateful and thankful. Two powerful messages this past Sunday, and I appreciate that. I like that one where he talked about how God got him right up the promised land and said, "There it is, everything you've ever wanted, but I'm not going with you." Boy, isn't that right where we're living right now? How many understand the importance of the presence of God? I think he drilled that home. Without God, you can have the whole world. Uh, and without me, you have nothing. And think about that. And so sometimes we, we ask for the wrong things, don't we? And I appreciate that so much. And um, continue the series on the book of Acts. James chapter 3. Now, I'm going to tell you straight on. I want this as a Bible study tonight. I'm not going to do a lot of preaching. I don't know that I'll get any preach up in me tonight. But we're studying a very important topic. It's a little short summer series. We're going on a longer series after school starts up. And I want you to be faithful on Wednesday nights. And we're going to get into a big series. I'm working on a couple right now. One in 1 Corinthians, one in the book of Job. I'm not sure where we're going to land on that. But I want you to be ready for that. Job is a book of life. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is right where we're living at in, as Americans, really in this world we live in a very, very pagan world, and Christians need to wake up and see that. And 1 Corinthians is an in-your-face book about some of the things that we're seeing right now. But I think tonight, even though this is a Bible study, um, if you'll take out a pencil and a piece of paper and jot some things down, I think you'll learn something by way of application. It doesn't matter if you're just a husband or a wife, you're going to learn something. If you're a leader of people, you'll learn something. If you are a follower, you'll learn something. If you're just an American, you're going to learn something. And uh, the discipline of spiritual strength, we started last week on Wednesday night, and Paul said, I keep under my body and subjection to my body. In other words, I, I make my body do what I tell it to do and not what my body tells me to do. And in the area of, of spiritual growth, you've got to have some discipline. Without discipline... You're not going to grow as a Christian. You're, you're going to be stagnant or probably go backwards. And so uh, as we study this, we had to come sooner or later to our topic, and that is the tongue. Let's stand together, please, reading God's Word. In James chapter number 3, we'll pick up reading verse number 1, read down through verse number 12. And by the way, as far as our topic, I want to say what the wisest man in the world said in Proverbs chapter 18, 21. He said this about the tongue. He said, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Would you say that with me together? Ready? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Say it again. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And something as simple as being saved. How many are thankful that somebody used their mouth to tell you how to be saved? And the Bible goes on to say there in Proverbs 18, 21, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And that's negative and positive. That means that you can just have a foul mouth or use wrong words and you're going to eat the fruit of what you say in your words or you can use exercise wisdom in your speech and your language and your tongue and you get, to, you get to eat the precious fruit of that. Look at verse number one. He says, my brethren, be not many masters, in other words, leaders or teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation for many things we offend all. 
if a man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about the whole, their whole body. Behold also ships, the ships which, uh, though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and sitteth on fire the course of nature, and it's set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, of things in the sea, and tamed hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, that is with our tongue, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed the blessing and cursing, my brother, these things ought not be so. Doth the fountain send forth the same place, uh, the same place, sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, uh, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain, so, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh i'll draw your attention to verse number two let's read that out loud together verse two in unison ready for in many things we offend all if any man offend not in word the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body so we have here this thought that if you can control the tongue you can control the body and so we got to get this thing first we're going to talk about discipline and spiritual growth we're going to have to talk about controlling the tongue and let's pray together. Father, bless now, please, your word and challenge us with truth tonight. Lord, I will not use any antics, any antics to keep the attention of these people tonight. And I love them and I want to help them. I want to help families and I want to help, Lord, those who work in relationships. And so teach us, Lord, from thy word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. So here the Bible says in verse 2, that another key of discipline in the whole body is to control the tongue. As we continue this short summer series of spiritual discipline, we're going to address that tonight. Have you ever, ever heard this little rhyme? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Have you ever heard that saying? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, let me tell you a bad thing about that little saying. It's not true. I was grilled in elementary school to believe that little trite white rhyme of words but over time, I learned that not only do words hurt you, they can actually haunt you as well. There are vicious things that people can say that you'll never forget. You'll take to your grave. And this is sad, and it shouldn't be, but that's the way words can be. And um, you can forgive, but sometimes you just can't get away from it. And I don't know about you, but I don't want, I don't want to have that type of tongue. I don't think anybody wants to have that type of tongue. And so this section, if you look at verse number one, speaks, James speaks to the masters or those that teach and those who are in leadership and those who seek that. He says, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. So here we understand the Bible condemns those that have a selfish desire to be in charge, but also those that are in charge have a responsibility to control their tongue. Here's what he's saying. He's saying masters or teachers or people in leadership talk. That is a responsibility. They give out orders. 
And it's not that the, those that follow don't, it's just that this is, this is their responsibility, their masters. The Bible condemns those also that desire to be in charge and use their words in a way that misuses their position of leadership. There are also those that follow that speak evil of their leadership. And so it goes both ways, though he's not addressing that here. It's all a misuse of the tongue. And then there are those who aspire to be in leadership. They don't attain it for one reason or another. <clears throat> and so they try to dictate or run their agenda from behind the scenes. And they're the ones that's always nipping at the heels of those in leadership and talking and back, backbiting and all those things uh, that uh, Paul had to deal with in his uh, ministry. In James chapter 3, verse 1, there is a warning to those in leadership and those who follow those that are in leadership positions should exhibit a biblical meekness and take on a temperament, you might say, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who follow should be careful not to condemn. The New Testament clearly indicates that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. Take a look at Moses. We see Moses as what we believe is a very, very strong leader. But the Bible says he was a meek man in Numbers 12.3. In fact, Many times Moses felt very inadequate to lead the people of God, but he used his tongue most of the time in a right fashion, and when he didn't, God judged him. So James uses this word, my brother, in speaking of Christian people when he deals with this matter of the tongue. I'm going to write some things down here in just a moment, but first of all, let me just say by way of introduction, leaders and followers who are in any arena, even in the home, who are undisciplined with their tongue, rarely see their error. Have you ever had somebody that you were around, or you worked with, or maybe a family member that just kind of avoided because they just talk and talk and talk and talk? Don't raise your hands. And you say, when are they ever going? And, and, and they do that when they're young. They do that when they're middle-aged. They do that when they're old, and they're doing it when they die. I'm just saying, they, they, I'm not saying they're misusing their tongue, but they're overdoing it in the way of communication, and they rarely see that. Uh, Matthew Henry, a famous commentator, said this. Write this down somewhere. Self-justifiers are usually self-deceived. Self-justifiers are usually self-deceived. And what that means is, if you're around a person that's always justifying their actions, they're probably self-deceived in what they believe about themselves. Those that think they're always right will often use their tongue to prove their opinion. Boy, a lot of that's going on right now. They will never know how wrong they are because they're deceived in their minds. Honestly, if you think about it, the misuse of our tongue is usually worse than that which we're being critical of in the first place. So you can, you can uh, be critical of somebody who's gossiping, but then you misuse your tongue as you talk about that person that's gossiping. So, uh, you know, sometimes silence is the best thing. It's a hard lesson to learn, but we get on our hobby horse. We start telling people what we think. We usually do so in a critical manner. And the work of God, especially, and this is why this is critical to the church, the work of God stops when this type of problem develops in a church. So James sets some standards of how we should communicate and how leaders should communicate, followers should communicate. Number one, write this down first of all. We should limit leadership to qualified people. And the reason why is because of communication. Limit leadership to qualified people. Look what he says in verse 1. The principle is true in any organization, the home as well. But especially in the church, he says in verse 1, My brethren, be not many masters, 
knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. In other words, sometimes the old adage fits, too many chiefs, not enough Indians. How many have heard that thing? Okay. And you got all these chiefs and got all this information coming out, all these orders and bad communication. And uh, there are people in the church who think they can, they can uh, be, be the, maybe the better youth director, the better song leader, the better soloist, the better piano player, the better Sunday school teacher, and even the better preacher. And the reason we make this statement that we should limit leadership to qualified people, which is what the Bible teaches, and anybody that does any hiring should do that, because once a person is in leadership, they're going to do the talking for you. Got that? That's why parents ought to train their kids before they start leaving the house uh, that the, 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 they ought to make sure they represent the family right. And it, because it's... it's People are, are notorious for this. They get your child in some sleepover and they start pumping them for information. So you better make sure your child gets good information. I know you don't ever do that, but anyway. Um, so um, this person of authority, whether they can handle the job or not, are giving out information. When a person is assigned to leadership in any organization, they're employed to use their tongue. Don't forget that. And when you put a person in leadership, they lead people, they communicate to people, and essentially you hire them to speak for you. Now watch this. Leadership must learn to communicate in the right way. Pastors, Sunday school teachers, deacons, uh, school teachers, staff people, I know that some of you look at me as a pastor and you say, boy, you, you sure do limit things around here. And who can teach and who can be in certain... Uh, well, first of all, I don't, but the Bible does. Let's just stop right there and just say like that. The Bible qualifies certain people for leadership, whether the world does or not. Now, I know there are other people that's very loose in that. So don't blame it all on me. But nevertheless, I'm more than happy as a pastor to make sure that what's being said in that school right across the way is exactly what we say right over here. And what happens in a Sunday school class uh, validates what's said right here. Every now and then we find out that doesn't happen when that doesn't happen. Look, none of these people get paid as far as on the church side and, and Sunday school and things like that. On the school side we do and so forth. So it's very difficult with laity and staff paid leadership and all that. But still, you and I should all be speaking the same thing. And then whenever I have to come around and do a little movement around on that, everybody says, ah, preacher's a dictator. No, I'm not. I'm just trying to do what we're all supposed to be doing. Okay, you don't like that? Go join the military. <laughs> so the Bible says a lot about qualifications. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. And when a person uh, uh, lacks experience and so forth, I'm going to get off that. Number two, write this down because I got a lot to talk about here in just a minute. Number two, learn that leadership is judged much greater by God. Learn that leadership is judged much, much greater by God. Watch the verse. My brethren, be not many masters. Knowing that, here's why. We, he was one of them, James, we shall receive the greater condemnation or the greater judgment. This is what this verse means. The day that you get in a leadership position at any level, in any um, uh, event or whatever you call it, job, more will be required of you by God. 
You say, well, I don't think I like that. Again, I did not write the Bible. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, For unto, for unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. So you've got to ask yourself, if I'm getting ready to take this position, whether it's a job, or whether it's a place in the church, or even walking down the aisle and saying, I do and I do. Am I willing to be judged? I know, I know you're thinking right now, judge not that you be not judged. Well, this does not mean that you're never going to be judged and does not mean that you never judge. How many ever go over, I must guess I'm talking to ladies, but I do know, I do know the right thing to do about this because I learned the hard way. You walk over where the, Great A large eggs are. And what do you do before you put it in the, the carton in the basket? What do you do? Open up and look at it. You say, well, how did you learn that, preacher? Because I was sent for eggs one time, and I didn't look at them. About three of them were broke inside there. I learned real quick. I'm just saying that you judge all the time. I hope you walk around and look at your tires every now and then to make sure they're not flat. I hope that you... Uh, I hope that you judge. We're talking about judging people. It means that the moment that you do judge, God's going to judge you. Are you ready for that? Um, leaders make dis judgment decisions every day. God's not telling us not to judge. Just be sure you know that someone's going to judge you back. A person that gets in leadership opens themselves up to be judged by more people. You don't want to be judged? Sit in the crowd. You're still going to be judged. By the way, some of y'all need to wake up back there. I'm just judging. I'm just kidding. I think everybody's case in point. The judge on the bench in a courtroom, he's sworn to uphold the Constitution. He comes under a greater scrutiny than anyone who ever comes under the bench there where he judges. If he is not right, he cannot judge correctly. He must be willing to be judged and live under this scrutiny because he falls under a greater condemnation. I mean, look, look, and in some places we vote for our judges. And so uh, every, for every fault, even in the laity at a church, you, you, you point out maybe some fault in another person, God's going to judge you in the same area. That's what it means. This is what the Bible is saying when it talks about the moat in someone else's eye and the beam in your own eye, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. So judge not that you be not judged doesn't mean you don't judge. It means when you judge, you better make sure you're talking right and you're walking the walk because you will be judged too. L, you'll get it in a little bit. So... Uh, the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you, submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give an account, and they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Let me talk about church for just a minute on this point. When God puts a pastor or someone in leadership in the church, they're going to have to give account for the people they serve. You do understand that. I know you're thinking, that day will never come. And one thing, I'm so thankful we got Pastor Norris because he forgets and he won't remember a lot of the bad stuff I did. Well, let me give you some little help with that. When I get to heaven, I'm going to have a perfect mind. Isn't that going to be something? My wife's going to look at me and says, well, who are you? But, but I'm just saying, uh, this is literally going to happen. 
And so there is a judgment of those things. Pastors have to give an account for their members. And if you're a father of your house, you'll stand before God and give an account for the members of your household, for how you operate as a husband and a father and a wife uh, and uh, a mother. We've got to take these things seriously. Romans 2.21 says, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest uh, a man to a man, a man should not steal, dost thou steal? And so we're supposed to walk the talk. Maybe we could say this, thou that criticizes someone for gossip, dost thou not gossip? Maybe we could say, uh, thou that slanderest another, dost thou slander? Thou that chews out somebody for not paying their bills, dost thou cheat on thou taxes? And God knows all this and he's aware of us. So when you judge, understand you will be judged back. It's okay, it's just part of life. Just make sure you get it right. That's called the greater condemnation, all right? Number three, write this down. Number three, I'm gonna give you some lessons now of how we can govern our tongue. They're listed here. James uh, verse two says, for in many things we, all, we, we offend, things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So because we're all sinners, we're prone not to get this right. For instance, he says, that, he says a tongue who can tame it. Okay, I'm going to answer that question. It's rhetorical. God can tame it. God can help you tame the tongue. You may not be perfect in that, but God will help you. So because we're all sinners, we're prone to offend others with our tongue. And everyone's got to work on this. And you should always be working on it. We should strive not to offend in word or deed. And striving to not offend, we exhibit a testimony of being a perfect and upright man. Well, there's a man or there's a woman that gets it right. That's what verse 2 means. Let me look, uh, have you look back uh, one verse in verse 26 of chapter 1. Look at James, look at James chapter 1, look, look at verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Now again, I didn't write the Bible. You got a man or a woman that cannot control their tongue, they can't bridle that thing, they can't get it going the right direction. They're not living up to what they say they are. So the perfect man doesn't mean that you're perfect without sin. It means that you're upright. That means you're going the right direction. You're growing. You're maturing. That's where we get this idea. The discipline of Christian growth must take in consideration the controlling of the tongue. When we offend in word, we lose our status as an upright person. You can get that back, but we must learn to control our tongue. When we control our tongue... We control our whole body. You'll be taught that about the bit in the horse's mouth in just a moment. The subject is so important that God has James explode this topic now. I've just given you the basis, the introduction. This is so important. James uses seven different illustrations to teach us tonight how to control the tongue. I'm watching my time. Let's work through them quickly. Uh, first of all, the bit in the horse's mouth. The bit in the horse's mouth. James 3, 3 says, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths, that they may obey us. And we turn about the whole body of the horse. How many of you ever watch those mighty seeds on TV? They pull a little bit on that, on that bridle, and that whole horse will turn about. Depends on how hard the rider pulls on that thing. Now, I'm not a horse riding person. I know a little bit about them. I had a little, I had a little 
pony named Dusty when I was a kid growing up on Grandpa Turner's farm. And we couldn't get that horse to do anything. We never had a bridle on it. We just held on to the mane and took off. And Dusty took us wherever Dusty wanted to take us. And usually he'd take us to the lowest, under, lowest limb on that maple tree in Granny's yard. And he'd wipe us all off the back of him. And if he didn't get us there, he'd go down the creek and sit down the creek. And we all had to get off. And so uh, that's pretty much my horsemanship right there. But we know what a bridle is. And James has already suggested this in verse 26 of chapter 1. But the bit is small. The small part of the bridle is placed in the horse's mouth. If you look at a bridle, and some of you animal lovers do not like what I'm going to go like, what I, I'm getting ready to say, okay? But that's that little stainless steel metal thing that's right in the part in front of that bridle. It's attached to the straps on the side that goes over the harness of the head. And let me just go ahead and say this. I do know a little bit about horses. That is that once a horse is broke with that, with that bridle and that bit, you don't necessarily have to pull hard on that thing because that, that horse's mouth is so tender that you just lay on that side of the horse before you ever pull on it. And he is moving. He's moving on, all right? And so uh, that's because they're broken that way. And sometimes to break them, they used to, they're probably not allowed to do this now. They used to literally split that part with that bit when they pull back on it. And they did it so many times that that would just be so raw and tender there. Kind of like that place right there your mama used to get a hold of. So everybody got me right there? All right. And so uh, the rider is able to turn the whole body, even of that large horse. And how many understand that a horse has their own mind? Yeah. I don't know if Herbert Woodard's in here tonight, but Herbert used to break horses. I see him sent back there. Herbert, does a horse have its own mind? Okay, and, and, and he's been thrown off enough times. But if he decides that he wants, to, wants you off his back, he's got a way to do that. The purpose of the bit is to get the horse to obey you. You can pull on that bridle and it makes the bit put pressure on that horse's mouth. And he's going to figure out real fast what you want him to do and which way you want him to turn. That's what God wants us to do. God used the illustration here for the tongue. The more sharp and lively your tongue is, the harder you're going to have to pull on that bridle's, the, the bridle of your mouth. Why the mouth? Just like the horse, it is a very tender part of the body. If you think a thought and God's not pleased with it, then pull back on that bit in your mouth. I know it's imaginary. I'm not going to have you stick your fingers in your mouth because we're still in COVID-19 scare, but... That little place right there, it's pretty tender. I don't know if you ever had to split or not, but can I tell you that you need to put an imaginary bit in there whenever things are not going the right way with your mouth. Nip it, nip it. In the bud. <laughs> because the tongue does a great damage if it's not in control. And secondly, the rudder of a ship. The rudder of a ship. Verse 4, behold, also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whethersoever the governor or the captain, you might say, listeth as he chooses. The rudder of a ship is that steering mechanism in the stern of the ship. It's a very small part located on the hull, on the hull underwater, out of sight, yet it turns the ship. It turns not only the ship with its weight, but also against the winds pressing against the ship. The Bible says that the rudder obeys the wishes of the captain, the governor. Since James is concerned the tongue to be like a rudder, we can draw this spiritual conclusion 
that the Bible is telling us that our tongue should obey its master. Its present master is you. But its overmaster should be the Spirit of God as we learn about God and the Word of God. And so the Spirit of God should help us be our captain in directing the course of our conversation. How many have been in a conversation and you can say, this is not going right? Okay, steer it away. Get it going the right direction. Number three, a fire. A fire. Verses 5 and 6, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Behold, how great a matter. A little fire kindleth, and the tongue is, is a fire, a world of iniquity so, iniquity. so is the tongue among our members that defileth the whole body and setteth on the fires of the, uh, on, on fire the course of nature, and is, it is set on fire of hell. What does that mean? The tongue, this little member, can boast mighty things. A lying tongue can take a small matter and make it a raging fire. By the way, a lot of that's going on right now in the world. Don't bring that into your family and don't bring that into the church. The tongue can cause the whole body to be defiled. It can draw your whole body into sin with words of passion. It can speak out fighting words and lead to bloodshed. How many, how many, how many are familiar with road rage? I, got, I feel like preaching a sermon on road rage. You may not be able to stop road rage if you're innocent and you get involved in it, but you can sure stop it from not starting. Well, I tell you, no, stop. You don't want what's going to get out of that car. Now, some of you sit back here, yeah, I'll take it, yeah. No, you're not supposed to do that. Okay, come on. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5, 6, suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Sometimes we get all fired up about something and we say things we shouldn't say. We've got to be careful. Somebody says, well, I just cuss when I'm mad. Well, if you're a Christian, don't cuss when you're mad. You're, you're just stirring it up. Your tongue can be cause you, call, be, be, to cause you to become a troublemaker. Your tongue can cause you to uh, constantly keep stirring the pot. You ever been around somebody that stirs the pot? There are actually some people that are proud. They're pot stirrers. <laughs> uh, this is what the phrase means when it says, and set on fire the course of nature. You can spread deadly fire from one person to another. Roll into the break room, the lunchroom. I can't believe that guy said, so what did he say? He said, he said, oh, God, 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 God. Well, I'll tell you what you're going to do. What are you going to do? We're going to go with you. We want to see this. Rumble! <laughs> you know. Now, you ladies don't know what I'm talking about. But one little fire can take off through a church or a family and cause all kind of trouble. Proverbs 6, Proverbs 6 verse 16 says this. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. God didn't say he disliked him. He says, I hate him. And the last one is an abomination. He that soweth discord among the brethren. You do not want to be known as that kind of person. James says in verse 6, and is set on fire of hell. In other words, it's Satan's plan to get you to use your tongue to mess up your whole life. 
Say things that you can't take back. Again, Matthew Henry, the great commentator, says this, and I quote, Just as much as you would dread fire and flames, you should dread contention and rage and slander and lies and everything that would kindle a fire of wrath in your own spirit and the spirit of others. You should fear that like you fear a fire in your own house. Uh, the next one, I don't know what number, one, two, three, four, the taming of domestic animals. I'll make these quick right here, the taming of domestic animals. Verse 7, for every kind of beast, birds, and serpents of things in the sea, tamed is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. That means we train dogs. We train other animals. Notice I didn't say cats. I guess you can train a cat. I don't, I've never seen a trained cat. If you have a trained cat, let me know about that. But I've watched, I've watched dogs become very obedient. We've, we've heard of lion tamers and snake charmers, which I don't want nothing to do with. We, we've, we've watched people train dolphins and even killer whales in some places, if you can believe it. But most people cannot tame and train their tongue. That's what the Bible's saying. These are wild animals that have been domesticated Watch this now, by skillful, repetitious training of mankind, and that's how we train our tongue, by skillful, repetitious training to hold back the words we should not say. With the help of God, we can, we can do that. You've heard it said, uh, bite your tongue, boy. Chew it off if you need to. I don't literally do that. But you ought to bite a lot of times just to get it right. Number five, deadly poison, <laughs> verses 8 through 10. But the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. What? Here's, what, here's how he explains poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men with a thin tongue. And these men are made after the similitude of God, out of the same mouth proceed the blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not be so. The goal, the goal of poison is to pollute that which is pure. You can put a drop of arsenic in a glass of water and not be able to tell it's there, but the water will be deadly. It'll kill you. When the tongue becomes poison, we can say something and no one else recognizes as dishonest, but God sees it. In other words, if you're lying to somebody, you and God know you're lying. The other person may not. That's poison. It plants a seed of discord. The same tongue that becomes poison then is used again to praise the Father. Subsequently, curse men. We can sing, oh, how I love Jesus, with the same tongue that we tell somebody off with. It shouldn't be. These things happen. And man is made in the image of God, and that person that we're lying to or spreading poison to is made in the image of God. That should matter to us. Every person's like that. The Bible says that this should never happen. When it does, we're demonstrating a lack of self-control. Uh, number, number six, uh, a fountain. Verse 11, doth a fountain send forth the same place, uh, sweet water and bitter? Does, does the drinking fountain contain bitter and sweet water? The answer is no. Have you ever tried to drink salt water? You'd spit it right back out. You should not have sweet and bitter water coming out of the same mouth. Here in the South, I learned this. Oh, they're so precious, honey, sugar, sugar baby love. 
I can't stand that person. Don't be like that. Don't, and don't back up and say, well, that's just, that's just the way we are. No. Change it then. Is everybody okay right now? The Bible says that shouldn't be. I know you probably never did that before. And then lastly, plants. Verse 12, look at it. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear, bear olive berries? You know the answer to that. Either a vine fig, so can no fountain both yield salt and fresh water. We don't ever see an apple tree bear cherries. So a Christian's tongue should produce Christian words. And we should be getting the point by now. Because he took it and he blew it up and said, this is the way I want you to use your words. Real quick, I've got a minute or two. Let me give you some practical suggestions and I'm finished. First of all, do not seek leadership, let leadership find you. Do not seek leadership, let leadership find you. What do you mean by that, preacher? I mean, that's the way it's supposed to be anyway. God puts them up, takes them down. God knows where you are. And the reason why I mention that right here is not because this entire thing is not totally about leadership, though it talks about masters. Here's what it means. Most people are not ready to lead, and those are the ones that seek leadership, and they get in there, and they use their words wrong. The words of a leader come under more scrutiny, more than you ever know. Secondly, judge yourself harder than you judge others. Whether you're in leadership or not, judge yourself harder than you judge other people because the Bible when it says judge not you be not judged doesn't mean you don't ever judge anything because we judge stuff every day. You've judged people about what they've had on today, good or bad, since you walked in this building. You get up every morning judging things. And so it means, though, that when we start judging other people, we better be ready for the judgment to come back to us. And the higher you go in life, the more judgments come your way. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Number three. The Bible says this, it should say, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-one. 31, it says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. In other words, if we'll judge ourselves. You want to you tone down the judging from other people? Judge yourself. Don't pull yourself out. As a hypocrite, number three, the great secret to controlling your body is to control your tongue. And that's really what the whole passage is about. If you're having trouble controlling your body, control the other things in your life, your thoughts, your actions, and all those things, control your tongue. The tongue lets others know what's in the heart. Let me say that again. The tongue lets other people know what's in the heart. Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the what? Mouth speaketh. Give your thoughts and words to the Lord. Learn to choose your words wisely. David said in Psalm 19, 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. David said, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. That means he was in leadership. He wanted to make sure he said less in front of those people that were going to devise wicked things about him. A soft answer turneth away wrath, grievous words stir up anger. Proverbs ten nineteen: in the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refrains his lips is wise. Less is more. One man said, I have often regretted my speech, but never regretted my silence. I like that. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I'm finished.
Let me give you this last thought. It has been discovered that there are 800,000 words or more in the English language, and they're adding them every day. 300,000 are technical terms that we rarely use. This leaves 500,000 words for us to choose from. The average person knows 10,000 words as a reference, but only uses 5,000 words a day. As I was getting this information, I like this next one. A journalist knows approximately 15,000 words and uses 10,000 words. I would say the journalist needs to use less. We do not have many words to choose from, is what I'm saying. The average person will use about 5,000 words. Choose your words wisely. Now listen, there are just some things that are said to others that doesn't need to be said. And in the church setting, as much as possible, our words should be encouraging words. The saddest thing in this passage is this, that out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursing. As we close tonight in this Bible study, I want you to ask yourself this, is that true in my life? Is my language and my words blessing and cursing out of the same mouth? You know what I love to see in our church could help us with revival? If this is true, and if the Bible saying if you control your tongue, you control the whole body. And we get rid of this idea where the cursing has come out of the same mouth we're trying to bless the Lord with. Do you know how we could really light up the song service on Sunday morning? is to have our lives right in this matter. So when we open that hymnal or we see the words on the screen that we can just sing right down deep in our heart and know that that same mouth wasn't used to choose somebody out. Let's stand together, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Thank you for listening tonight. And Father, this evening we thank you for just this quick Bible study on the tongue. There's so much could be said in reference but I pray you'll help us to see tonight that death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's literal. May we use our tongues wisely in telling folks about the Lord and the gospel and encouraging others and trying to get people to do the right thing, trying to control our anger. Lord, you gave us the emotion of anger, and sometimes our anger is necessary just for protection and for safety. Father, may we not misuse our anger to tear down our spouse, to tear down our children that are so vulnerable in their feelings and emotions. Teach us, Lord, to use right language. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.